thank you for listening to the podcasts from Life Central Church. For more information or to visit one of our locations, go to lifecentralchurch.org.uk. It is so good to be back and to be with you guys. And for those of you in the room and those of you online, we are going to be singing again in a few minutes, okay? And it's so good to hear people sing, isn't it? Some of you are looking around thinking, no, you you weren't standing next to this guy. I'm joking. It's so good to be back. Uh, My name's Leon, and I want to say a big special shout out to all of you in the room here, and for those of you watching online as well, and especially for you guys at Hagley, okay? That's one of our locations. Hagley, uh, if you're watching, and hopefully that you are, then you are really, we're just so pumped up that that you're getting going again in Hagley and in Rowley as well. What's going to happen with our locations is that Hagley and Rowley are going to meet together alternate weeks over the next couple of months. We're hoping to be back, all of our locations, every week, all together in person. That's the goal, okay? And we're doing it step by step. But also, uh, I want to say a special shout out because this week we are launching two microsites. And if you don't know what a microsite is, you need to come on Tuesday evening and we will explain that to you. But to those of you watching in Cleavery Mortimer, you are really welcome. We are really excited to be connecting with you guys. And those of you watching in Bromsgrove as well, again, we are so excited about what God is doing. Hey, wherever you're watching from, if you're online, why don't you pop it in the chat where you're watching from? Because we've been so blown away by how many people are just connecting with us on, in the online stuff around the world. It's just amazing. And uh, this week, uh, we start our brand new teaching series called uh, Reset. And I don't know about you, but have you ever, you know, this technology thing like your phone or your iPad, anyone ever get frustrated with technology or is it just me? Like it's brilliant when it's working well. Like this TV was working in the run through and now it isn't. And so we love it. And so someone, as I'm even speaking, is going to do a reset on this piece of technology. Because you see, what happens with technology is that it gets slow and it gets sluggish. And a virus comes on it or malware comes on. And you need, there you go, you need a a reset. And there is two kinds of reset. There's a soft reset and there's a hard reset. The soft reset is the switching it on and off again. No, off and on again, that's right. And the hard reset is restoring it to its original setting, to the factory setting, to the original design. A little bit like what's happened to my face. Okay, because, yeah, we, okay, all right, okay, okay, all right, okay. It was a bit of fun. It was meant to be a bit of fun. I don't know whether it was the last lockdown that sent me a little bit crazy. And I thought, I'm going to grow a beard. And then it was white. And I'm like, how did that happen? But it does. It's the ageing process. And then at some point, I thought, I'm just going to keep growing it. And then I knew that God wanted us to talk about reset. So I thought, well, I'll use that. But it just kept growing. And then when I was likened to, okay, Father Christmas, Gandalf, (laughs) Moses, Uncle Albert, from Only Falls and Horses. I thought, it's gone again. The TV's gone again. It needs a reset. I thought, do you know what? I need a reset. My face needs a reset. And so it happened last night. It's way easier to reset your facial hair than it is to reset your life. Isn't it? It really is. But you know what I want to do, and I don't know whether I can do it now because the TV's not working, but I want to talk to you about something called the Great Reset. Because there's a whole bunch of people um, called the, the, the World Economic Forum. Here they are. And they developed this thing called the Great Reset. So they're a bunch of basically economists and strategists and they're, they're gathering together. And they reckon that coming out of COVID-19 is the moment for us as a planet to reset. 
We have never, certainly in my lifetime, never been more disrupted than we have this last 18 months, politically, economically, and socially. And here's one of the quotes that the guys say. The pandemic represents a rare but narrow window of opportunity to reflect, reimagine, and reset our world. And I love those words, those R words. We've been using those R words as well. To reflect, to reimagine, and to reset our world. And guys, whether you're watching online or whether you're here in the room, whether you're a Christian or whether you're not, I think all of us need a reset. And I don't mean a soft reset where we just go back to normal, but a hard reset where we go to the original design that God has for our lives. But you know, here's where I would diverge from from these guys. You see, they talk about um, economy all the time, like the global debt is the highest since the Second World War. Our global economy is shrinking by 3%. And what they say is this, if unaddressed, the world will be less equal and more fragile. I've got news for them. It already is less equal and more fragile. And what they talk about is that we need a great reset of capitalism. And capitalism's okay, but I think we need something much bigger than a reset of capitalism. Our climate needs a reset. Our political system needs a reset. Our communities need a reset. Our lives need a reset. But not a soft reset, not just switch on and off again and go back to normal, but a hard reset, going back to the original design. How did you, God, design this world to be? And it's so interesting me talking about reset with the TV going off again. <laughs> I'm hearing it in my But you know, the reset, the word reset's really interesting because it's not just about technology. It's also, reset means to reset a broken bone. You know, like when, when your bones come out, when your shoulders come out of its, out of its socket, it needs to be reset. The other meaning of reset is from the world of jewellery to place a gem into a new setting. Or thirdly, to set again or differently. To set again or differently. And when you look at these words reset, I don't know how many of you guys here today or watching online would say, do you know what? Coming out of COVID-19, and we know COVID-19 is still with us and we're navigating that. But coming out of this season into a new season, does my life need a reset? Has something been ripped out? Is something been broken or dislocated? Does something need resetting again or differently? And I believe that God wants to help us in these next few weeks to reset and to go back to the original settings. And so I, I thought about how to look at this and you know, I haven't spoken for nine weeks, all right? So I've got a lot to say. So you might be here a long time this morning, all right? Let me just give you a heads up on that. I'll try to keep to time, but it will be a challenge. And I thought, do I go down the route of practical examples where we need reset? You know, like when relationships break down, we need a reset. When our finances are in trouble, we need a reset. When we get hurt or disappointed, we need a reset. And I thought, do I go down that line and that's great and we, we love practical teaching? Or do I look at eternal principles and let you guys work it out in your lives. And I've decided I'm going to go down that route. So we're going to look at some eternal principles. In other words, things that don't change. And we're going to say, these are the things that God has put as hardwired into us as human beings and into us as a planet. And if we would live on these kind of principles, then actually we'd be able then, when relationships break down, When our finances are in a mess, when we get hurt or disappointed, we be able to reset our lives based on the eternal principles of God. 
And we're going to look at a chapter in the Bible over the next few weeks, okay, uh, called 1 Corinthians 13. And uh, whenever we look at the Bible, all right, whenever we look at any, any book in the Bible, and if you're new to faith, this might help you. We're going to ask four questions. We're going to look at the author, the audience, the agenda and the application. In other words, the author who wrote it, the audience who received it, who heard it first, what was going on in their lives and their context? The agenda, what's the message trying to communicate? Then the application, what does it mean for us today? So when we look at that, 1 Corinthians is a, is a letter written by Paul, the Apostle Paul. He wrote it around AD 56, 57 from a city called Ephesus and to, to the new early church in Corinth, this, this really metropolitan, um, really cool city in the Roman Empire, but it was a little bit freaky. And there was all kinds of weird stuff going on. And the audience, the people that received it, they were new Christians and they were trying to find their way in the world. And whenever Paul wrote his letters, he always had two things in mind. He always was very encouraging, but he was also wanting to correct and to challenge. So we had this balance between commending people and challenging people, to encouraging people and to exhorting people to, to, to course corrections. And then the application, what does it mean for us today? And we're going to look at that today. But you know, what he does in the book, in, in the letter of Corinthians, for 12 chapters or so, Paul addresses different issues and he encourages and he challenges and he commends and he corrects and he does all this. Then at the end of chapter 12, it's almost like he puts his pen or his quill down and has a little bit of a change attack. And he says this incredible line, but now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. In other words, I've been looking at issues and practical examples, but I'm just going to come away from that. I'm going to show you a life, a way of life that is best of all. Other translations, the most excellent way, a superior way to live that is beyond comparison. And then when you turn over into 1 Corinthians 13, you get to what we often, often call the love chapter. We had a wedding here yesterday and you've all heard 1 Corinthians 13 read at a wedding. It wasn't written for a wedding. It was written for a life. The way of love, Paul says, is the most excellent way. And we're going to spend two to three weeks looking at love. But before we do that, we're going to go right to the end of 1 Corinthians 13, because there's an, there's an incredible verse. And this is like the mount, a mountaintop verse. Three, two years ago, in June 2019, I was in Tanzania. I uh, had the privilege of going to Tanzania. And um, we sponsor about 160 children as a church in a community in Tanzania through Compassion, which is phenomenal. That all happened during lockdown. Incredibly generous and incredibly life-giving. But you know, as I left Tanzania really early in the morning, um, we were uh, in a town, a city called Arusha, which is at the foothills of Mount Kilimanjaro. And as we were flying up out of the cloud, this is the picture that I took. That's the top of Mount Kilimanjaro above the clouds. And, and the, the photograph does not do it justice on my little phone out of the window. Because it was like just, just majestic above the clouds. And what Paul does in 1 Corinthians 13 is he gives us these three mountaintops. They're majestic because they're eternal and they're timeless. And they're the things that we need to reset in our lives. And he puts it this way. He says this, put the next screen on, thanks. The three things will last forever. These three mountaintops will last forever. Faith, hope and love. And the greatest of these is love. And I wanna suggest guys that these three things are things that you and I need a reset of in our lives. You know, I've heard thing, uh, this phrase, which I love. We're going to need, coming out of COVID-19, we are going to need, as a society, as a global community, we're going to need reservoirs of resilience. 
We're going to need reservoirs of resilience. We're going to talk about that phrase the next few weeks. And I want to suggest the deepest reservoirs of resilience are faith, hope and love. And today we're going to talk about faith. Next week, which is the anniversary of 911, 20 years anniversary of 911, we're going to look at hope. Okay, and I've been reading so much over the summer. I've read about 13 different, 14 different books and there's so much I want to speak into about hope. But then after that, we're going to take two or three weeks looking at 1 Corinthians 13 and looking at love. But today, this is the question that I have for you today. So anyone need a faith lift? Anyone looked in the mirror recently and thought, I need a faith lift. See what I did there? Anyone thought, do you know what, I need something to lift my faith. Maybe you're a teacher and you're about to go back to school this week and you need a faith lift. Or maybe your parents and maybe your kids and, and you're going to, to school or you're going to college or uni and, and you may, might need that faith lift. Or maybe you're, you're, you're going, navigating, going back into the office having worked at home or, or maybe you're, you're in a tough situation and right now you need a faith lift. You know, faith is a lot like a credit card. It's like it's in your wallet or your purse and you don't even think about it until you need it. And then when you need it and you look for it and it's not there, all of a sudden you're scrambling around, aren't you? Like, where did I have it last? When did I use it last? Where was it? Faith can be a lot like that. You know, many of us, maybe if you are a Christian, you say, oh yeah, I've got faith. Yeah, but but it's a bit like a credit card. Like you think it's there somewhere, but when you need it, then you're, you're really like looking for it because it's a little bit like that. And so I want to look, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 13 in the, in the future, okay? So we're just looking at that one verse. But I want to look at another passage of Scripture this morning, and it's Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, the back end of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35 to 39. Now this, thinking about when this was written, this was probably written a couple of decades after Corinthians, okay? And this is written to uh, early Christians who now are not only trying to find their way in faith, but they're under persecution from the Roman Emperor Nero, Now, for centuries, uh, Christians thought that Paul wrote Hebrews. Most modern scholars don't believe that Paul wrote Hebrews. I personally don't believe he did either. We don't know who wrote it. Barnabas is a a candidate. Luke is a candidate. My favourite is Priscilla. Priscilla is a genuine candidate to be the writer of Hebrews. And wouldn't that be amazing if actually it was a woman that wrote Hebrews? And of course, she's not mentioned there because in the world at the time, you wouldn't mention a woman in that kind of situation. Wouldn't it be amazing if actually our faith, which I do believe passionately, our faith is a lifter of women. There are people in our, commun- in our world right now and they are living under horrendous circumstances simply because they're women or they're girls and we need to pray for them. We need to pray for them. But isn't it amazing that Jesus and the New Testament were the people that lifted up women and empowered women and and rejoiced in women and gave women roles in leadership and all of that. Wouldn't it be incredible if Priscilla had written this? We don't know, but I have a sneaking suspicion. Anyway, the writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 10, 35. So do not throw away this confident trust. The phrase throw away means throw overboard or cast aside like an old garment. Don't chuck it away. You know, this confident trust and confident trust, that phrase literally means freedom, openness. You guys have been looking for nine weeks over the summer, the summer of freedom. And Andy did a great job last week at eight ways that we can stay free. And the writer of the Hebrews is saying, don't throw away the freedom that you have, the confident trust. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you'll receive all that He's promised. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. And my righteous ones, He says, 
will live by faith. But I'll take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not those who turn away. And that phrase turn away means shrink back. It means withdraw. It means retreat to cover. They won't retreat. They won't shrink away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. Guys, we need a reset of faith. And I don't know where your faith level is right now as we begin this new season, but I believe I believe that God wants to invite you into an encounter with Him to reset, to help reset your faith and to give you a faith lift. The call here in the book of Hebrews is not to shrink back because of what we don't know, but to move forward because of who we do know. Amen? Not to shrink back because of what we don't know. I don't know what's happening in the world. I don't know. You know, uh, I said to you before, one of my three word phrase through the last 18 months that I've used more than ever in my leadership is, I don't know. I ain't got a clue. What's happening with the virus? What's happening with the culture? What's happening with the economy? What's happening with our society? I don't know. But what, what, what the writer here says and what God says is don't shrink back because of what you don't know. Move forward because of who you do know. And what I want to do today is I want to give, and before I do that, you say, sorry, because when you then turn from Hebrews uh, chapter 10 into Hebrews chapter 11, you get that incredible passage, that incredible chapter that we all know, uh, where the writer talks about all these men and women who serve God by faith. And they all have two things in common. Number one, their lives please God because of their faith. And number two, they all found faith in really uncomfortable situations. Helen Keller, who um, as, a, as, a, as a baby lost her hearing and lost her sight. She went on to, to, be, uh, to be the first person to get a master's degree uh, who was hearing and visually impaired. She, she became an activist for people with disability and an incredible woman. And she said this, and I love this, faith is the strength by which a shattered world shall emerge into the light. Isn't that amazing? Just hold it there for a minute on the screen. Faith is the strength by which a shattered world shall emerge into the light. You know, this is why this week we have a prayer week going on here in church. I'll talk about it in a moment. It's so important that we pray at the start of this season because, you know, it's not going to be our strength that's going to help this world emerge uh, it, it, you know, into the light. It's going to be faith in God and it's going to be God's power as we engage faith. So what I want to do today, and I'm going to have to be quick, is I'm going to give you five things about faith to give you a faith lift today. And then my hope and prayer is that as we uh, respond at the end and as we worship Jesus at the end, that actually there will be a reset, that there will be a lift of faith in every single one of us. Five things about faith. Number one, faith is fundamentally all about trust. But how many of you remember uh, the first time, maybe you're a parent or a grandparent, Give it up for grandparents. Grandparents rock. Absolutely. Do you know what? Tally, my granddaughter, saw me today and totally freaked out because she hasn't seen me without the beard. She totally, totally like, ah. But that moment of being a parent or a grandparent in a pool, encouraging your little one to jump in. Anyone remember that experience? And it's so funny, isn't it, if you watch it, because what happens is that the little kid stays on the side and, and let's say it's dad. It can be mom or granddad or, yeah, granddad. is, is in there and, and say, let's say granddad or dad, either one. Granddad uh, is in there and you got your arms out and you just want them to jump in. And then, then they're so scared, aren't they? 
And then eventually they do, but it's not a jump, it's more like a fall, isn't it? They just like fall into your arms. And then a and then little bit, you, you then move back a little bit and you encourage them to take a step. And then eventually, as they get a little older, a little bit more com- confident, they, they then don't need that. They then jump in or they run, and I nearly fell over there. They run and they jump in. Eventually, as they get more confident and more assured, they don't want you, they want you to push away. Eventually, they jump in and jump on you. And eventually they push you under. And then eventually as they get even older, they say, Dad or Grandad, please don't come to the pool with me again. Especially if you're going to wear those shorts because they're really embarrassing. And what happens is that now Dad or Grandad or Mom or Grandmom or whoever it is, they don't want you to do something. They just want you to trust them. They just want you to trust that your arms are strong and your heart is good. That is exactly what faith is. Faith is fundamentally all about trust. The Greek word used most for faith in the New Testament, the one that we've read today, is the word pistis. It's an unfortunate word, but it literally means to be persuaded to fully trust. In ancient antiquity, the word meant it was a warranty guaranteeing safe delivery. In other words, faith is all about jumping in the pool, knowing that God's arms are strong and that His heart is good. And I wondered through this pandemic how many of us have pulled back from trust, have pulled back from faith because we're not quite sure whether his arms are strong enough or whether his heart really is good. But I wanna say, I wanna give you a faith lift today. His arms are strong and his heart is good and faith is all about trust. You've got to take the jump. And here's the thing, whether you kind of fall into the arms or whether you're one of the more confident types that run and jump in, whether you're one of those people that, you know the poor when you're on holiday and you, you, you can see them, can't you? And they're like, oh, it's a bit cold. And you know, like dip your toe in or whether you're the person that comes out from breakfast and doesn't go anywhere near, just runs and dives straight in. It doesn't matter how you get in. It really matters that you get in. And ultimately, faith is all about trust. But number two, faith is not a static event, but a dynamic experience. And I've been challenged on this one. You know, in Ezekiel 47, in one of the books in the Old Testament, there's this vision that Ezekiel gets of a river and, uh, and, and he gets taken into the river and, and, and the river goes up to his ankles and then it goes up to his knees, then it goes up to his, 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 his thighs and then, and then eventually he can't stand and he has to swim. And that's a picture, I believe, of what faith is meant to be. Faith is not a static event that happened. Faith is a dynamic experience where we're growing deeper in trust and where we're moving in our relationship with Jesus. You know, it's not enough for us to say, oh yeah, I've got faith. It was 1987 when I made a decision. No, 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 that's a decision. But faith is a dynamic experience. We're always meant to be taking steps of faith. We're always meant to be coming to those bits, those parts where we're out of our, our comfort zone and where we're, where we're swimming in who God is. Many of you know that over this last couple of years, we've been on a journey as a church, as a leadership. And Alison, my wife, um, you know, has, has been an elder for many years and always been involved in the ministry. But she's always had her, her career outside of the church as a nurse, then as a counsellor, and then in his last season as a university lecturer. And uh, we felt God stir something in her. And we've seen that over this last 18 months. And so we've been on this journey about her maybe stepping more into, into leadership um, you know, on the church team and joining the church team. 
Um, but you know, at the start of the summer, when we went for our break, uh, we went with the thought that actually um, she began negotiating at work to reduce her hours so that she could do 15 hours uh, on, on the church staff team. That was all that the church can afford is 15 hours and that's fine. Uh, and so that's what we were looking at. And then about week two or three um, of our trip or of our break, we felt God speak to us to jump. We felt God speak to us to make a faith step. And so Alison handed a notice in and uh, she left her work on Friday and starts 15 hours here at the church tomorrow. And here's the thing about that. For us, that's the biggest financial step of faith that we've taken for some time. Alison was earning more recently than she's ever earned in her whole life. So for us, it was a faith step and it was a bit of a trust step to say, God, we believe this is you. We believe your arms are strong and your heart is good. We don't want all of our faith steps to be in our memory. We want our faith steps to be in our reality. And I don't know when the last time was that you took a faith step, but I believe in this season to reset our faith, it needs to be a dynamic experience, not just a static event. And so this week, we have this week of prayer and we want to invite you into that. And, and hopefully if you had an email, you'd have got a, a information about the week of prayer and there's a brochure you can download with loads of information. I want to encourage you on Tuesday night. On Tuesday night, we are going to be launching microsites Okay, in Cleebury Mortimer and in Bromsgrove and we hope beyond that as well. And, and we want to pray for people. We've got a bunch of people coming over from Cleebury. We're excited about that. People from Bromsgrove coming. And we would love, uh, we, we're going to be praying for Hagley and for Rowley. A whole load of our staff are in new roles in this season. We're going to be laying hands on them because we can do that now, legally, technically. Uh, and we're going to be praying and commissioning people into this new space. This is about faith that doesn't just rest on our memory, our history, but actually is a dynamic experience right now. And as you come and as you engage with prayer this week, I want to encourage you to be asking God, God, would you reset my faith? When was the last time I took a step of faith? When was the last time? Or maybe your faith is up to your ankles right now. So maybe for you, it's like, hey, I want to go a little bit deeper. What does it look like for me to go up to my knees? What does it look like for me to go up to my waist? What does it look like for me to swim and to trust you knowing that your arms are strong and that your heart is good? Number three, faith is not just a decision to make, but a muscle to work. And I love this one because I made a decision, okay, of faith in May a long, long time ago. Next May, it will be 40 years ago that I made my first commitment to Jesus of faith. Now, Faith is a muscle to work, not just a decision to make. I made a decision nearly 40 years ago, but my faith would stay really small unless I worked it like a muscle. Uh, I had a, a funny thing over the summer. Um, I, I cycle uh, quite a bit, uh, not long distances, but I go out quite a lot. And I'm on the drive uh, in my gear and ready to cycle. And my next door neighbour, Paul, we're good friends, and he's ready to run. And we look at each other and we both started laughing because it was obvious that neither of us wanted to go. <laughs> so basically we were both standing there. I'm on my bike and he's running and we're doing things on our on our apps, on our phone, and we're adjusting things. And neither of us wanted to go. And we just laughed because we both said, like, we don't want to do it. But we know that if we don't do it, nothing will change. And it's exactly the same with faith. If you don't activate it, it will atrophy. You wonder why your faith feels small. You wonder why your relationship with Jesus feels thin. You wonder why you don't feel close to Him. It's because you've not been operating the muscle. It's a muscle. It's not just a decision. 
We've got to keep working this muscle. And I want to give you three habits that I wonder if some of us, and I know I have as well, have allowed to get out of whack and we need to reset. These are three habits that will build your muscle of faith, okay? Here's the first one. And it's basically, it's this. Daily devotion is the first minutes of your day. And the reason why this is important, now I know some people are night people and some people are morning people, and I've always taught that. I'm not going to teach that any longer because the Bible really teaches clearly you begin your day with God. That doesn't mean if you're, if you're not a morning person that that's when you read hours and hours. Just give your first minutes to God. You see, when you wake up, what's the first thing you reach for? I do reach for my phone, but the reason I reach for my phone, okay, is to switch the alarm off if there's an alarm on it. Or secondly, to go on version and do the version word of the day. Okay, now that's the first thing I do. Then when I get up and everything else, then I do some other devotion. But even if you just do that, it takes about three minutes. But what it does is at the start of your day, it sets the tone right. And, and, and you say, Jesus, today, this is your day. And I wanna give you the first minutes of the day. Now, let me just say something funny that happened to me, okay? When I was preparing this about 10 days or so ago, um, I, I noticed that my U version, like the, the daily, you know, kind of thing, it does this thing called a streak. In other words, it tells you how many days you're on. And I'm quite a competitive person, okay? And competitive with myself. And I was nearly 400 days of competitive U version. I was feeling quite good. And then I wrote this talk. And then two days later, I went back on and it said, streak zero. I'd missed the day. Like I'd got to nearly like 400 and then I'd miss a day and then I was like, ah, do you know what I mean? I've missed a day, you know? And Alison said, you do know that's not the purpose of reading the Bible. And yes, yes, you're right. I know you're right. You're so wise and profound, but I've missed a day. But you see, the purpose isn't for us to do a streak like that. I, I'm going to rephrase that, okay? Uh, uh, but we'll edit that out later on. Uh, the, the purpose isn't to do that. It isn't to get through the Bible. The purpose is that the Bible will get through us. Yes. So you know what I did is I started again. And now I'm on a streak of eight days. <laughs> and it's not about that, but it's about starting your day with Jesus. That's what Jesus did. He started every day with the Father. You can read it, read, read chapter, Mark chapters one to five. Every day, he just goes away. He just starts the day with the Father. Why? Because that gets your life reset. Secondly, secondly, percentage giving, the first pounds of your income. And I know some of you are going to say, what, 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 what? Let, let, let me just explain this. This is so important. You see, God is not after your wallet. He's after your heart. And where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And so percentage giving, and I don't care what your percentage is. For me, it's 10% as a start, but for you, it can be whatever. That means the first I give to God, not the leftovers at the end, Okay, And here's the other one. Many people say, this, I don't want to do that. I want to give where I see there's a need. And I understand that. Jesus and the New Testament writers would say to that, that's what pagans do. When you give only where you see there's a need, that does nothing to build your faith. All it does is stroke your ego. But when you give us a percentage giving to God first, you're saying, God, all that I have is yours anyway. And I want to give a percentage of it to you first because you're first in my life. And by doing that, we're surrendering control of the one thing that we often put our faith and our trust in that isn't God, and that's our money. Percentage giving is so important. And then thirdly, thirdly, and I love this one as well, corporate worship, the first day of your week. Now I know in the last 18 months, that's been really hard and we are so grateful for online ministry and we will keep going online. And if you're online, we love that you're connecting with us and you are valued and loved and we love it. 
But I think there's something really powerful about corporate worship, which will grow and build our faith. You see, something happens personally when we gather together corporately. Jesus says, where you're gathered in my name, I'm kind of there in a very special way in the midst of them, in a way that I'm not there when it's just you on your own. And even when you're not, it's just you and you two, there's something about the dynamic of being together. And I can tell you what, I could cry this morning, just being here with you guys and listening to you sing. And in a moment, we're gonna sing and worship again. And there's something that encourages my faith. But here's the other thing. When we come together corporately, we have to navigate, sit in, that's my seat. Do you know what I mean? Or I want to sit there. And all of a sudden, the corporate dynamic of relationship challenges us and it does something to us. And ultimately, it reminds us that we are never, ever called to a solitary faith. We are always called to a communal faith. Faith is lived out in the context of community. And I want to say to you, we need to reset in this season some stuff of making the first day of your week that corporate act of worship, whether it's online for some of you or whether it's in person. And I wanna say those of you who are online, hey, if you live close to us or to Hagley or to Rowley or to one of the microsites, maybe you wanna dip your toe in the water a little bit and try being in person as well because that's such an important decision you can make. Okay, we're gonna have to crack on. Number four, faith is ultimately not about a something, but about a someone. Faith is ultimately not about a something, but about a someone. And I love this little verse. Look at this. I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. Okay, you see the verse that I'm thinking about, I can do all things in Philippians through Christ who gives me strength. We take it out of context so much, like we do with lots of verses. You see, what we think then is is, is we get our mindset all wrong. And what we need is we need a reset of our mindset. We need a reset of our mindset. You see, when Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, what we think that means is that faith means there's nothing we cannot do because God is with us. Wrong. We think faith means, um, you know, that there's nothing that God won't do for us. Wrong. Faith means that everything will work out like I want it to because I have faith. Wrong. That's not what Paul says. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's in the context of suffering and difficulty. In other words, when you're going through the tough times, you can have faith to go through it, not around it. And actually, it won't necessarily turn out like you want it to because faith isn't about a something. Faith is about a someone. Faith is about a someone. You look at that in Hebrews chapter 11, all of those people, you know, many of them didn't get what they wanted or what they expected, but they died in faith. They lived by faith. They were commended because of their faith. I love this story in Daniel chapter three, where where Daniel's three friends are thrown into a fire and the king there is saying, bow down to me. And they say, we ain't bowing down to you. We're only gonna bow down to God. And we think about our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, don't we? And other parts of the world who this is a reality for them right now now. And it says this, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He'll rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, love that. Even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. And what they say by that is, hey, listen, listen, we're in the fire, okay, because of our faith. But faith means we believe that God can rescue us. That's pistis, okay? That's, that's trust. That's we believe that your arms are strong. But then they say this, but even if he does not, we're gonna worship him anyway. Why? Because his heart is good. His arms are strong and his heart is good. So we're gonna jump. 
Regardless of how it works out, and I know there are people here in this room and there'll be people online and life hasn't worked out like you wanted it to. Alison and myself have been so aware the last couple of weeks because of walking through a situation of incredible grief and tragedy and loss that many of you will be aware of in our community, in our, in our family here, of how life can turn out not like you want it to. Faith isn't about how life turns out. Faith isn't about something. Guys, faith is about a someone. And I know that some things that happen to your life and my life, they don't make a lot of sense. But I'll tell you what, without God, they make no sense at all. And so faith isn't about something, it's about a someone. And I love this quote by a guy called Paul Tillich. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. So if you've got doubt today, that's not the opposite of faith. It is an element of faith. Love that. You see, if you don't have any doubt, then you, you, know, you, you wouldn't need faith, would you? Do you know what I mean? Like doubt is not the opposite, it is an element of faith. And over the summer, and I'll talk about this a little bit more on Tuesday, we, we had a coach, um, I've had a sabbatical coach that's helped me through this and he gave me three questions to look at. Number one, who is Leon outside of Life Central Church? In other words, am I just a something that does stuff? Secondly, what grief is Jesus inviting me to process with him? And thirdly, what dreams is God inviting me to dream with him? Now, I didn't really get to the third one. I spent a lot of time with God on the first one and on the second one. And we realised through that, and I realised through that, that there's some grief and pain and loss in my life that I wasn't processing. I was just getting on and doing stuff. In fact, the, the very second week of our holiday or of our sabbatical was a week of holiday, which uh, Alison and myself, um, we were going with Josh and Isla, son and daughter-in-law and the little one, Tally, and they hadn't had a holiday and baby was born in lockdown and so and they're both nurses and we really wanted to give them this holiday and so we booked this cottage, great cottage down in Cornwall. We went down on the Saturday, they were working and then they were coming down on the Sunday, but on the Saturday they were pinged and uh, the baby was pinged nursery, so to speak, so they couldn't, so they had a decision, do we, do we just go? because other people were going, or do we do the right thing and stay and miss the holiday? And to their credit, they did the right thing. But we were devastated, devastated, because we were so looking forward to this holiday. And I realise now that actually there was other grief that this was kicking into. There was other pain and other loss that this was kicking into, that my reaction to the experience was disproportionate to the experience. And it's been really rich to let Jesus take me into a place where actually it's about my relationship with Him. It's about a someone, not about a something. Holidays come and go. Life doesn't work out like I want it to. I've got to get over it. And faith isn't about a something. Faith is about a someone. Final thing I want to say, and then we're going to worship. Faith starts where you are, not where you want to be. You see, if you want a faith lift today, it's going to start, guys, when you recognise where your faith is at. You know, when you go to the theme park and you look for that thing on the theme park and you find that big map, the most important thing is not the thing that you're looking for. It's that little three word sign that says you are here. Because if you don't know where you are, it's irrelevant where you're going. And faith starts not where you want to be, but where you are. And I think that Jesus invites every one of us to take a step of faith, to take a jump of faith, to trust Him again, to exercise our faith, to start some habits of faith, you know, to, to, to move beyond the, the, the focus on the something and to, and, and to reset ourselves to the someone. And it starts where you are. If your faith is tiny, start where you are. If your faith is here, start where you are. If you're up to your knees, start there. But come to Jesus today and say, Jesus, 
Would you reset my faith? Would you lead me forward? Would you help me to trust you even more? You know, I love the story about Peter who messes up um, on, on the night that Jesus is taken away and he denies and he swears and he runs away and he fails and he messes up. And then Jesus is crucified and, and buried and, uh, and he's resurrected, but Peter doesn't know that. And Jesus meets Peter and he gives him a reset, doesn't he? And he gives him a reset. And the reset isn't where he wants to be. The reset is where he is. And so Jesus says, do you love me, Peter? Well, yeah, you kind of know I do. Well, then just start there and just follow me. In other words, make it about a someone, not about a something. You've messed up, you failed, you've disappointed, you've let me down. That's fine. We'll sort that out. We'll deal with that. Just start where you are, not where you wanna be. And I wonder how many of us today need to say, this is where I am, God. My faith is, is more of a memory than a reality. My faith is more of a static event than a dynamic experience. My faith is more about what was yesterday rather than what is today. And today, this is where I am, but I want a reset of faith. And I wanna invite you into that today. Trust His arms are strong and His heart is good. So how can you respond? Maybe, and I don't wanna categorise everyone, maybe you can choose to discover faith today, or maybe you could choose to rediscover faith today. And you know, guy, if you're, if you're in, the, in this kind of group and, and maybe you're watching online or maybe here in the room and, and you've never discovered faith. You've, you've never done what I did almost 40 years ago and, and made that decision and that initial leap, that initial trust. You can do that. Or maybe you've done that, but you need to rediscover faith. You know, and I, I've been so blown away by even the tragedy of life that can happen to people can be something that can reawaken and reset that that faith dynamic in people's lives. Sometimes when I meet people, and, and, and that's been recently as well, that this is the most awful experiences, and yet in the middle of it all, you found faith again. You've rediscovered faith. Maybe that's you. One of the ways that you guys could do that is by exploring the Alpha Course. So we're launching a new one on the 27th of um, September, a Monday evening. It's gonna be online, the next one. We're gonna do some in-person ones next year, but this one's gonna be online. Maybe if you've never discovered or if you wanna rediscover faith, you could do that. You could go on the website or you could take your phone out. You could text LCC Alpha to 60777 and we will be in touch or you can go on the website and do that. But you know, the third thing that's gone is choose to uh, reignite your faith, to reignite your faith. And that's where I wanna kind of leave it today. And I wanna invite you all into a moment where in worship, we ask Jesus to reignite our faith again. Why don't we stand? How are we gonna do that? How, 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 does, how does He reignite our faith? You know, one of the things that I think about faith is that I was brought up thinking that faith is all about what I do. And you know, as a kid at Sunday school, you know the story of David and Goliath. You know, I love that story. It's a story of faith, isn't it? David throwing the rock at the big giant Goliath. And we always think to ourselves, oh yeah, who am I in that story? Well, I'm not Goliath, but I'm definitely David. Actually, I don't think we're either of them in that story. You see, I think David is more a representation, not of me, but of Jesus. Because he's ultimately the one that goes out and defeats Goliath. He's ultimately the one that goes out and takes the giant down. Who am I? I'm the little one hiding behind a rock until it's all over. But then I'm the one that when David has fought Goliath, he comes back and says, hey, it's clear. It's all here. You just need to receive it. You just need to have it. You just need to trust. You just need to step out in it. I've already done it. And so you today, we're gonna sing champion in a moment. And as we sing this song champion, 
Let's remind ourselves that our faith is not in us. Our faith is in our champion. Amen. Our faith is in the one who stood on that on that battlefield, if you like, of the cross and, and brought down the Goliaths of sin and death and brokenness and loneliness and hatred and all of that. And He did all that so that you and I could now jump into the pool and trust that His arms are good and His heart, His heart is good and His arms are strong. And so I want to pray for you today. And if that's you and you want to reignite your faith and you want, to, you want to maybe get that reset of faith, I want to encourage you just to reach out to Him today, wherever you are. As we sing this song, we have a prayer space uh, out there, a new prayer space is out there in the atrium, the other side of the atrium. You can go and someone will pray with you and for you uh, during this song or after. But I want to pray for you in this room as well. And so let's just bow our eyes for a moment. And maybe if you're watching online as well, and, and if today you say, yeah, this is where I am. I need a reset of my faith. I need a reset of my faith. There's something stirring inside of you and you need that reignition, that reigniting of your faith. I want you just to put your hand up right where you are, just as a way of reaching out to God. Thank you. And maybe online as well, you want to signify somehow, maybe a thumbs up or something. Thank you. I want to pray for you. You know that your faith needs a reset right now. Just, just keep your hand up. I want to pray for you guys and then pray for all us. Father, thank You so much for Your incredible love that You sent Jesus to be our champion. And now, Lord, we receive all that He's done for us and we ask You to reset and reignite our faith again. In Jesus' Name, Amen. Amen. Let's sing.